Chapter 5 of Spinning Wheel Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catalina Watt. Spinning Wheel Stories by Louisa May Alcott. Little Things. That's the sort I like, said Jeff as the story ended. I no wonder was a trump and I'd give a good deal to know such a fellow and go hunting with him. Got any more like it, auntie? Perhaps, but it is the girl's turn now, and here is a quiet little story that teaches the same lesson in a different way. It contains a hint which some of you would better take. And Aunt Eleanor glanced around the circle with a smile that set her hearers on the alert to see who was to be hit. Hope it isn't very moral said Jeff, with a boyish dislike of being preached at. "'It won't harm you to listen and take the moral to heart, my lad. Wild horses, gold mines, and sea scrapes are not the only things worth reading about. If you ever do half so much good in the world as the people in this story did, I shall be proud of you,' answered Aunt Eleanor, so soberly that Jeff folded his hands and tried to look meekly impressed. "'Is it true?' asked Min. Yes, I heard Abby tell it herself, and we saw the silk stocking and the scar. That sounds very interesting. I do like to hear about good clothes and awful accidents, cried the girl, forgetting to spin in her eagerness to listen. They all laughed at her odd mixture of tastes, and then heard the story of little things. Abigail sat reading Rasselas aloud to her father while he shaved pausing now and then to explain a word or correct the girl's pronunciation, for this was a lesson as well as a pleasure. The handsome man, in his nankin dressing gown, ruffled shirt, black small clothes and silk stockings, stood before the tall, old-fashioned bureau, looking often from the reflection of his own ruddy face to the pale one beside him, with an expression of tender pride which plainly showed how dear his young daughter was to him. Abby was a slender girl of fifteen, in a short-waisted gingham gown, with a muslin tucker, dimity apron and morocco shoes on a pair of small feet demurely crossed before her. A blue-eyed, brown-haired little creature, with a broad brow and a sweet mouth, evidently both intelligent and affectionate, for she heartily enjoyed the story and answered her father's approving glances with a face full of the loving reverence so beautiful to see. Schools were not abundant in 1815, and after learning to read, spell, sew, and cipher a little at some dame school, girls were left to pick up knowledge as they could, while the brothers went to college or were apprenticed to some trade. But the few things they did study were well learned, so that Abby's reading was a pleasure to hear. She wrote a fine, clear hand, seldom misspelled a word, kept her own little account book in good order, and already made her father's shirts hem-stitching the linen cambric ruffles with the daintiest skill, and turning out buttonholes anyone might be proud of. These accomplishments did not satisfy her, however, and she longed to know much more, to do and be something great and good, with the sincere longing of an earnest, thoughtful girl. These morning talks with her father were precious half-hours to her, for they not only read and discussed well-chosen books, but Abby opened her heart freely and received his wise counsels with a grateful docility which helped to make her afterlife as benevolent and blessed as his. 
I don't wonder that Rasselas wanted to get out of the Happy Valley and see the world for himself. I often feel so, and long to go and have adventures, like the people I read about, to do something very splendid, and be brave and great, and loved and honoured, said Abby, as she closed the book, and looked out of the open window with wistful eyes, for the chestnut trees were rustling in the May sunshine, and spring was stirring in the girl's heart, as well as in the budding boughs and early flowers on the green bank below. Do not be in a hurry to leave your happy valley, dear, but help to keep it so by doing your part well. The happiness of life depends very much on little things, and one can be brave and great and good while making small sacrifices and doing small duties faithfully and cheerfully, answered Mr. Leon with the look of one who practised what he preached. But my little things are so stupid and easy, sewing and learning to pickle and preserve, and going out to tea when I don't want to, and helping mother, are none of them romantic or exciting duties and sacrifices. If I could take care of poor people, or be a colonel in a splendid uniform, and march with drums and trumpets, or even a fire warden, and run to save lives and property, and be loved and thanked and trusted as you are, I should be contented continued Abby, kindling at the thought, for she considered her father the noblest of men, and glowed with pride when she saw him in his regimentals on great occasions, or when she helped him into the leathern cap and coat, and gave him the lantern, staff, and canvas bags he used, as fire-warden, long before steam-engines, hook-and-ladder companies, and electric alarms were dreamed of. Mr. Leon laughed as he washed his face at the queer three-cornered stand, and then sat down to have his hair tied in a queue by his daughter, who prided herself on doing this as well as a barber. Ah, my girl, it's not the things that make the most noise and show that are the bravest and the best, but the everlasting patience, charity and courage needed to bear out daily trials like good Christians. And the smile changed to a sigh, for the excellent man knew the values of these virtues and their rarity. Yes, I know, sir, but it is so splendid to be a hero and have the world ring with one's glory, like Washington and Lafayette or Perry, Hull and Lawrence, said Abby, winding the black ribbon so energetically that it nearly broke, for her head was full of the brave deeds performed in the wars of 1775 and 1812, the latter of which she well remembered. Easy, my dear, easy. Remember that it was the faithful doing of small things which fitted these men to do the grand deeds well when the time came. Heroes are not made in a minute, and we never know what we may be called upon to live through. Train yourself now to be skilful, prompt, courageous and kind. Then when the duty or the danger comes, you will be prepared for it. Keep your spindle ready and the Lord will send the flax, as the old proverb says. I will, father. And remember the other saying that you like and live up to. Do right and leave the consequences to God, answered Abby, with her arm about his neck and a soft cheek against his, feeling that with such an example before her she ought not to fail. That's my good girl. Come now, begin at once. Here's a little thing to do, a very homely one but useful, and some honour may be gained by doing it nicely, for if you'll darn this bad rent in my new stocking I'll give you five dollars. As he spoke, Mr. Leon handed her a heavy silk stocking with a great barn-door tear in the calf. 
He was rather proud of his handsome legs and dressed them with care, importing hose of unusual fineness for state occasions, being one of the old-time gentlemen whose stately elegance added dignity to any scene. Abby groaned as she examined the hole torn by a nail, for it was a very bad one, and she knew that if not done well, the costly stocking would be ruined. She hated to darn, infinitely preferring to read or study Latin with her brother, instead of repairing old damask, muslin gowns and the family hose. But she did it well, excelling her elder sister in this branch of needlework, so she could not refuse, though the sacrifice of time and taste would have been almost impossible for any one but father. "'I'll try, sir, and you shall pay me with a kiss. Five dollars is too much for such a little thing.' she said, smiling at him, as she put the stocking into the capacious pocket where girls kept housewife, scissors, thimble, pinball, and a bit of lovage or flag root in those days. I'm not so sure that you'll find it an easy job, but remember Bruce and his spider, and don't be conquered by the little thing. Now, I must be off. Good day, my darling. And Mr. Leon's dark eyes twinkled as he thought of the task he had set her, for it seemed as if nothing short of a miracle could restore his damaged stocking. Abby forgot her heroics and ran to get his hat and cane, to receive his morning kiss, and answer the salute he always paused at the street corner to give her, before he went away to the many cares and labours of his own busy day. But while she put her little room in order, dusted the parlour and clapped laces for her mother, who, like most ladies long ago, did up her own caps and turbans, Abby was thinking over the late conversation, and wondering if strict attention to small affairs would really lead to something good or glorious in the end. When her other duties were done, she resolutely sat down to the detested darn, although it would have been much pleasanter to help her sister cut out green satin leaves, or quill up pink ribbons into roses for a garland, to festoon the skirt of a new white dress. Hour after hour she worked, slowly and carefully weaving the torn edges together, stitch by stitch, till her eyes ached and the delicate needle grew rusty in her warm hand. Her mother begged her to stop and rest. Sister Catherine called her to come and see how well the garland looked, and a friend came to take her to drive, but she refused to stir, and kept at her weaving, as patiently as King Robert's spider, picking out a bit that puckered, turning the corner with breathless care, and wrapping it with her thimble on the wooden egg till it lay flat. Then she waited till an iron was heated, and pressed it nicely, finishing in time to put it on her father's bureau, where he would see it when he dressed for dinner. Nearly four hours over that dreadful darn! But it's done now, and hardly shows, so I do think I've earned my money. I shall buy that workbox I have wanted so long, the inlaid one, with a nice velvet bed for the thimble, scissors and bodkin, and a glass in the cover, and a little drawer for my silk reels. Father will like that, and I shall be proud to show it. These agreeable thoughts were passing through Abby's mind as she went into the front yard for a breath of air after her long task was over. Tulips and hyacinths were blooming there, and peeping through the bars of the gate stood a little girl wistfully watching the gay blossoms and enjoying their perfume. Now Abby was fond of her garden, and had been hurrying the early flowers that they might be ready for her father's birthday nosegay, so her first impulse was to feign that she did not see the child, for she did not want to give away a single tulip. But the morning talk was fresh in her memory, and presently she thought, "'Here's a little thing I can do.' And ashamed of the selfish impulse, 
she gathered several of her finest flowers and offered them saying cordially i think you would like these please take them and by and by when there are more you shall have prettier ones oh thank you i did want some for mamma she is ill and will be so pleased was the grateful answer given with a little curtsey and a smile that made the wistful face a very happy one do you live near by asked abby seeing at once from the child's speech and manner that she was both well-bred and grateful just around the corner we are english and papa is dead mamma kept school in another place till she was too ill and now i take care of her and the children as well as i can the little girl of twelve in her black frock with a face far too old and anxious for her years was so innocently pathetic as she told the sad story that abby's tender heart was touched and an impetuous desire to do something at once made her exclaim wait a minute and i'll send something better than flowers wouldn't your mother like some wine jelly i helped make it and have a glassful all my own indeed she would began the child blushing with pleasure for the poor lady needed just such delicacies but thought only of the children's wants waiting to hear no more abby ran in to get her offering and came back beaming with benevolent goodwill as it is not far and you have that big basket i'll go with you and help carry the things if i may my mother will let me and my father will come and see you i'm sure if you'd like to have him he takes care of everybody and is the best and wisest man in all the world lucy mayhew accepted these kind offers with childish confidence thinking the young lady a sort of angel in a coal-scuttle bonnet and the two went chatting along good friends at once for abby had most engaging manners and her cheerful face won its way everywhere she found the english family a very interesting one for the mother was a gentlewoman and in sore straits now being unable to use her accomplishments any longer and failing fast with no friends to protect the four little children she must soon leave alone in a strange land if they were only cared for i could go in peace but it breaks my heart to think of them in an asylum when they need a home said the poor lady telling her greatest anxiety to the sympathetic young visitor while lucy regaled the noses of the eager little ones with delicious sniffs of the pink and blue hyacinths tell father all about it and he'll know just what to do he always does and every one goes to him may he come and see you ma'am said abby longing to take them all home at once he will be as welcome as an angel from heaven my child i'm failing very fast and help and comfort are sorely needed answered the grateful woman with wet eyes and a heart too full for many thanks abby's eyes were full also and promising to send father soon she went away little dreaming that the handful of flowers and a few kind words were the first links in a chain of events that brought a blessing into her own home she waited anxiously for her father's return and blushed with pleasure as he said after examining her morning's work wonderfully well done my dear your mother says she couldn't have done it better herself i'm sorry that it shows at all but it was impossible to hide that corner and if you wear it on the inside of the leg it won't be seen much explained abby anxiously it shows just enough for me to know where to point when i boast of my girl's patience and skill people say i'm making a blue stocking of you because we read johnson but my black stocking will prove that i haven't spoiled you yet said mr leon pinching her cheek as they went down to dinner arm in arm 
Literary ladies were looked upon with awe, and by many with disapproval in those days, so Abby's studious tastes were criticised by the good cousins and aunts, who feared she might do something peculiar, though years later they were very proud of the fine letters she wrote, and the intellectual society which she had unconsciously fitted herself to enjoy and adorn. Abby laughed at her father's joke, but said no more just then, for young people sat silent at table while their elders talked. She longed to tell about Lucy, and when dessert came she drew her chair near to her father's, that she might pick the kernels from his walnuts and drop them into his wine, waiting till he said, as usual, "'Now, little girl, let's take comfort,' for both enjoyed the hour of rest he allowed himself in the middle of the day. On this occasion he varied the remark by adding, as he took a bill from his pocket-book and gave it to her with a kiss, "'Well-earned money, my dear, and most cheerfully paid.' "'Thank you, sir. It seems a great deal for such a small job, but I do want it very much. "'May I tell you how I'd like to spend it, father?' cried Abby, beaming with the sweet delight of helping others. "'Yes, child, come and tell me. Something for sister, I suspect, or a new book, perhaps?' And drawing her to his knee, Mr. Leon waited with a face full of benignant interest in her little confidences. She told her story eagerly and well, exclaiming as she ended, and now I'm so glad, so very glad I have this money, all my own, to spend for those dear little things. I know you'll help them, but it's so nice to be able to do my part, and giving away is such a pleasure. You are your father's own daughter in that child. I must go and get my contribution ready, or I shall be left out, said Mrs. Leon, hastening away to add one more charity to the many which made her quiet life so beautiful. I will go and see our neighbour this evening, and you shall come with me. You see, my girl, that the homely little job is likely to be a large and pleasant one, and you have earned your part in it. Do the duty that comes first, and one never knows what beautiful experience it may blossom into. Use your earnings as you like, and God bless you, my dear. So Abby had her part in the happy days that came to the Mayhews, and enjoyed it more than a dozen workboxes while her father was never tired of showing the handsome darn and telling the story of it. Help and comfort were much needed around the corner, for very soon the poor lady died, but her confidence in the new friends raised up to her was not misplaced, and when all was over and people asked, what will become of the children? Mr. Leon answered the sad question by leading the four little orphans to his own house and keeping them till good homes were found for the three youngest. Lucy was heartbroken, and clung to Abby in her sorrow, as if nothing else could console her for all she had lost. No one had the heart to speak of sending her away at present, and before long the grateful little creature had won a place for herself which she never forfeited. It was good for Abby to have a care of this sort, and her generous nature enjoyed it thoroughly, as she played elder sister in the sweetest way. It was her first real lesson in the charity that made her afterlife so rich and beautiful, but then she little dreamed how well she was to be repaid for her small share in the good work which proved to be a blessing to them all. Soon preparations for Sister Catherine's wedding produced a pleasant bustle in the house, and both the younger girls were as busy as bees helping everywhere. Dressmakers ripped and stitched upstairs, visitors gossiped in the parlour, and cooks simmered and scalded in the kitchen, while notable Madame Leon presided over the household, keeping the peace and gently bringing order out of chaos. Abby had a new sprigged muslin frock, 
with a white sash and her first pair of silk stockings, a present from her father. A bunch of pink roses gave the finishing touch, and she turned up her hair with a tortoise-shell comb in honour of the occasion. All the relations, and there were many of them, came to the wedding, and the hospitable mansion was crowded with old and young. A fine breakfast was prepared, a line of carriages filled the quiet street, and troops of stately ladies and gentlemen came marching in, for the Leons were a much-honoured family. The interesting moment arrived at last. The minister opened his book, the lovely bride entered with her groom, and a solemn silence fell upon the rustling crowd. Abby was much excited, and felt that she was about to disgrace herself by crying. Fortunately, she stood near the door, and finding that a sob would come at thought of her dear sister going away for ever, she slipped out and ran upstairs to hide her tears in the back bedroom, where she was put to accommodate guests. As she opened the door, a puff of smoke made her catch her breath, then run to throw open the window before she turned to look for the fallen brand. A fire had been kindled in this room a short time before, and to Abby's dismay the sudden draught fanned the smouldering sparks, which had crept from a fallen log to the mop-board, and thence around the wooden mantelpiece. A suspicious crackling was heard, little tongues of flame darted from the cracks, and the air was full of smoke. Abby's first impulse was to fly downstairs screaming fire at the top of her voice. Her second was to stand still and think what to do. For an instant's recollection showed her what terror and confusion such a cry would produce in the crowded house, and how unseemly a panic would be at such a time. If only I could get at father, but I can't without scaring everyone. What would he do? I've heard him tell about fires and how to put them out. I know. Stop the draught first and Abby shut the window. Now water and wet blankets. And away she ran to the bathroom, and filling a pail, dashed the water over the burning wood. Then, pulling the blankets from off the bed, she wet them as well she could, and hung them up before the fireplace, going to and fro for more water, till the smoke ceased to pour out and the crackling stopped. These energetic measures were taken just in time to prevent a serious fire, and when Abby dared to rest a moment, with her eyes on the chimney, Fearing the treacherous blaze might burst out in a new place, she discovered that her clothes were wet, her face blackened, her hands blistered, and her breath gone. No matter, she thought, still too much elated with her success to feel the pain. Father will be pleased, I know, for this is what he would call an emergency, and I've had my wits about me. I wish Mother would come. Oh dear, how queerly I feel. And in the midst of her self-congratulation, poor little Abby fainted away, slipping to the floor and lying there, like a new sort of Casabianca, faithful at her post. Lucy found her very soon, having missed her and come to look for her the minute the service was over. Much frightened, she ran down again and tried to tell Mr. and Mrs. Leon quietly. But her pale face alarmed everyone, and when Abby came to herself, she was in her father's arms, being carried from the scene of devastation to her mother's room, where a crowd of anxious relatives received her like a conquering hero. "'Well done, my brave little fire-warden. I'm so proud of you,' were the first words she heard, and they were more reviving than the burnt feathers under her nose or the lavender water plentifully sprinkled over her by mother and sister. With that hearty commendation, her father left her to see that all was safe, and Abby found that another sort of courage was needed to support her through the next half-hour of trial, for her hands were badly burned, and each of the excellent relatives suggested a different remedy.' them cried aunt sally fanning her violently 
Goose oil and cotton batting, suggested Aunt Patty. Nothing so good as lard, pronounced Aunt Nabby. I always use dry starch or a piece of salt pork, added Cousin Lucretia. Butter them, commanded Grandma. That's what I did when my Joseph fell into the boiler and came out with his blessed little legs the colour of lobsters. Butter them, Dolly. That settled the vexed question, and Abby's hands were well buttered, while a hearty laugh composed the spirits of the agitated party, for the contrast between Grandma's words and her splendid appearance, as she sat erect in the big armchair, issuing commands like a general, in silver-grey satin and an imposing turban, was very funny. Then Abby was left to repose, with Lucy and old nurse beside her, while the rest went down to eat the wedding feast, and see the happy pair off in a chaise, with a portmanteau slung underneath, on their quiet honeymoon trip to Pomfret. When the bustle was over, Abby found herself a heroine in her small circle of admiring friends and neighbours, who praised and petted her as if she had saved the city from destruction. She needed comfort very much, for one hand was so seriously injured that it never entirely recovered from the deep burn, which contracted two of her fingertips. This was a great sorrow to the poor girl, for she could no longer play on her piano and was forced to content herself with singing like a lark when all joined in the sweet old ballads forgotten now. It was a misfortune, but it had its happy side, for, during the long months when she was partially helpless, books were her solace and she studied many things which other duties or pleasures would have crowded out if Abby's poor hand had not been an excuse for such liberty and indulgence. It did not make her selfish, however, for while regretting her uselessness, she unexpectedly found work to do that made her own life happy by cheering that of another. Lucy proved to be a most intelligent child, and when Abby asked what return she could make for all the little girl's loving service during her trouble, she discovered that help about lessons would be the favour most desired. Lucy's two early cares had kept her from learning much, and now that she had leisure, weak eyes forbade study, and she longed vainly to get on as her new friend did, for Abby was her model in all things, looked up to with admiration, love and wonder. Father, I've been thinking that I might read Lucy's lessons to her, and hear her recite. Then she wouldn't grieve about being backward, and I can be eyes to her as she is hands to me. I can't sew or work now, but I can teach the little I know. May I, sir? asked Abby one morning, after reading a paper in the Spectator, and having a pleasant talk about it during the happy half-hour. A capital plan, daughter, if you are sure you can keep on. To begin and then fail would leave the child worse off for the hope and disappointment. It will be tiresome to go on day after day, so think well before you propose it, answered her father, much pleased with the idea. I can do it, and I will. If I get tired, I'll look at you and mother, always so faithful to what you undertake, and remember my motto, cried Abby, anxious to follow the example set her in the daily life of these good parents. A hearty handshake rewarded her, and she set about the new task with a resolute purpose to succeed. It was hard at first to go back to her early lessons and read them over and over again to eager Lucy, who did her best to understand, remember, and recite. But goodwill and gratitude worked wonders, and day after day, week after week, month after month, the teaching went on, to the great surprise and satisfaction of those who watched this labour of love. 
both learned much, and a very strong, sweet friendship grew up, which lasted till the girls became old women. For nearly two years the daily lessons were continued. Then Lucy was ready and able to go to school, and Abby free from the duty that had grown a pleasure. Sister Catherine being gone, she was the young lady of the house now, and began to go to a few parties, where she distinguished herself by her graceful dancing, and sprightly though modest manners. She had grown strong and rosy with the exercise her sensible mother prescribed and her energetic father encouraged, taking long walks with her to Roxbury and Dorchester on holidays, over bridges and around the common before breakfast each morning, till the pale little girl was a tall and blooming creature, full of life and spirit, not exactly beautiful, but with a sweet, intelligent face, and the frank, cordial ways that are so charming. Her brother Sam was very proud of her, and liked to see her surrounded by his friends at the merry-makings to which he escorted her, for she talked as well as she danced, and the older gentlemen enjoyed a good chat with Miss Abby as much as the younger ones did the elaborate pigeon-wings and pirouettes then in vogue. Among the older men was one whom Abby much admired for he had fought, travelled, and studied more than most men of his age, and earned the honours he wore so modestly. She was never tired of asking him questions when they met, and he never seemed tired of giving long, interesting replies, so they often sat and talked while others danced, and Abby never guessed that he was studying her bright face and innocent heart as eagerly as she listened to his agreeable conversation and stirring adventures. Presently he came to the house with Brother Sam, who shared Abby's regard for him, and there, while the young men amused themselves or paid their respects to the elders, one of them was still watching the tall girl with a crown of brown hair, as she sat by her father, poured the tea for Madame, laughed with her brother, or made bashful Lucy share their pleasures. Always so busy, dutiful, and winning, that the visitor pronounced Mr. Leon's the most beautiful house in Boston. He heard all the little tales of Abby's youth from Sam, and Lucy added her tribute with the eloquence of a grateful heart. He saw how loved and trusted she was, and he soon longed to know how she would answer the question he desired to ask her. Having received permission from Papa, in the decorous old style he only waited for an opportunity to discover if charming Abigail would consent to change her name from Leon to Lamb, and, as if her lesson was to be quite complete, a little thing decided her fate and made a very happy woman of the good girl. On Abby's seventeenth birthday there was to be a party in her honour at the hospitable family mansion, to which all her friends were invited, and when she came down early to see that all was in order, she found one impatient guest had already arrived. It was not alone the consciousness that the new pink taffeta gown and the wreath of white roses were very becoming which made her blush so prettily as she thanked her friend for the fine nosegay he bought her, but something in his face, though he only wished her many happy returns in a hearty way, and then added laughing as the last button flew off the glove he was awkwardly trying to fasten. It is evident that you didn't sew on these buttons, Miss Abby. I've observed that Sam's never come off, and he says you always keep them in order. Let me put one on for you. It will take but a moment, and you'll be so uncomfortable without it, said Abby, glad to find employment for her eyes. A minute afterwards she was sorry she had offered, for he accepted the little service with thanks and stood watching while she sat down at her work table and began to sew. She was very sensitive about her hand, yet ashamed of being so, 
for the scar was inside and the drawn fingers showed very little as it is natural to half close them she hoped he had never seen it and tried to hide it as she worked but this or some new consciousness made her usually nimble fingers lose their skill and she knotted the silk split the button and dropped her thimble growing angry with herself for being so silly and getting so red and flurried i'm afraid i'm giving you a deal of trouble said the gentleman who was watching the white hand with great interest no it is i who am foolish about my burnt hands answered abby in her frank impetuous way see how ugly it is and she held it out as if to punish herself for the girlish feeling she despised the answer to this little outburst made her forget everything but the sweetest pleasure and surprise for kissing the scarred palm with tender respect her lover said to me it is the finest and the dearest hand in the world i know the brave story and i've seen the good this generous hand is never tired of doing i want it for my own will you give it to me dear abby must have answered yes for she wore a new ring under her glove that night and danced as if there were wings on the heels of her pink shoes whether the button got sewed on or not no one knows but that bit of needlework was even more successful than the other small job for in due time there was a second wedding without a fire and abby went away to a happy home of her own leaving sister lucy to fill her place and be the most loving and faithful of daughters to her benefactors while they lived long years afterward when she had children and grandchildren about her listening to the true old stories that are the best abby used to say with her own cheerful laugh mother and father taught me many useful lessons but none more valuable than those i learned that year and i may honestly say that patience perseverance courage friendship and love came out of that silk stocking so let me give you this bit of advice don't despise little things my dears End of chapter 5 Little Things Recording by Catalina Watt London If you enjoy sci-fi please visit my blog seenthefuture.blogspot.co.uk